Total group is on Thursdays, okay, instead of Tuesdays. So we have three different groups now on Thursdays and a Sunday afternoon group as well. So make that change for the Dodal group. Okay, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the scripture. Uh, Hear from God's word. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Now that version was the NIV, am I correct? I'm actually going to be preaching out of the ESV, which is going to be up on... Um, It never hurts to read it twice, so I'm going to read it one more time, and let's hear it again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of the Lord. I am a student of human nature. I like to people watch and try to figure out why people do what they do. This is why I married a therapist. She, uh, uh, besides my bills being extremely low because of her, I uh, thought if I want to understand human nature, I should watch a therapist. So I still cannot figure her out, but I feel like I'm getting closer. I've learned as I study human nature, there are certain laws, universal laws of human nature that apply to all people. Some of them are small, some of them are big. But here would be an example of one of them. Uh, The fear of loss is greater than the desire for gain. Now what do I mean by that? Well, it looks something like this. If you go shopping and you see something... And you don't know if you like it. You kind of do, but you don't love it a lot. And so you look at it and then you put it back on the shelf. And then someone comes along right behind you and goes ahead and looks at it and likes it. All of a sudden, you want it, don't you? You didn't want it before, but because they want it, now you want it. Why? Because the fear of loss is greater than the desire of gain. Here's another thing I've discovered about human nature, and I'm generalizing, but usually this is true. The deepest question that a man and a woman have is different. The deepest question that a man has is, am I capable? Do I have what it takes? Now that's, I'm generalizing, but often I found this to be true in counseling. However, for a woman, the deepest question is, am I lovable? Am I cherishable? Am I wantable? There are parts of the way we are because of human nature. The Christian should understand the world better than anyone because we have access to God's word which teaches us about ourselves. And we have a fundamental law of human nature in this scripture. I call it heart love. What does heart love mean? It means that amidst all of the loves that we have and desires for things, there is a deep love that supersedes them all, a heart love. A desire to give yourself completely to someone or something. It is within us. It is built within us. 
seeking out that thing to give ourselves to above all. And I have seen that when we give ourselves to the things that are wrong, when we give our heart love to those things, heartbreak will follow. But there is a joy that comes when you give yourself to that which is right. When the heart's desire, the heart love meets its rightful object, there is joy, a joy of complete surrender. And that is what this scripture is about. The joy of complete surrender to the one you were made to surrender yourself to. And that is God. I want to discuss in this passage what it means to give your heart to God. These words are so strong when you think about it. To offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's a huge, huge ask. A huge command. Is God worthy? And so we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why should I give myself to God and not to someone or something else? We also have to ask ourselves the question, what? What does this actually look like? What should it look like if I choose to do this, Carlos? And then finally, we have to ask ourselves the question, how? How do I do this on a daily basis? So that's what we're going to discuss right now. But my premise is really quite simple. That you will never find true joy in your heart until you give yourself to the one that your heart was made for. And that is God, your Father, the one who created you. Well, let's look at these various scriptures. Let's start at number one, the why. Why should I give myself to God? Romans 12:1 says it this way, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now the word I want to key in on here, the key word, is the word therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore in scripture, you want to look at what has come before because the ground of whatever is uh, coming up that is going to ask you to do something is because of what has been said. In other words, this is true, therefore, this is what to, be, uh, this is what to do. Everything has a cause, by the way. Everybody has a therefore. If you look at your actions and drill down far enough, you'll discover there is something that drove your action. There is a therefore. And everybody has a therefore to heart love. The truth is most people don't realize what their therefore is. People don't realize that they have a theology. It's a big word, theology. It means the study of God or your beliefs in God. Now some of you may be here for the first time and you're not a Christian and you may say, Carlos, I don't have a God. And I would say that's not true. You see, your God is whatever or whoever you live for. If your God is pleasure or if you live for pleasure, pleasure is your God. If you live to have power, power is your God. Everybody has a God and everybody has a price. Everybody has a therefore. This therefore in this chapter, excuse me, in this verse actually refers to the therefore of Romans 1 through 12. Many would say Romans is the greatest book in the Bible in terms of understanding Christianity. And chapters 1 through 12 
is the first part of Romans, the why or what is true. And chapters from 12 to 16 are the here's what to do. And so therefore is the, vulcr uh, the fulcrum point upon which we turn. And so this word, uh, Paul sums up uh, chapters 1 through 12 by saying, therefore, by the mercies of God. This is the cause. To sum up 1 through 12, by the mercies of God. What does he mean when he says by the mercies of God? He's essentially saying what God has done. What God has done. Because of what God has done, His mercy, His mercies, here is how you are to act. Now this is not typically the way that gods work. See, the gods of the world, whether they be pleasure or power or reputation, they haven't already done something. The way things work is this way. If you do this, then you will receive this. But Paul has it the exact opposite way, doesn't he? Here is what God has already done. Therefore, here is how you are to respond to it. Very different than any other religion, whether it be the religions of the world or the actual religions. I have a friend of mine, he's a Muslim, and uh, I ask him the question. I say to him, uh, how do you know that you're going to heaven? How do you know that you're approved by God? says I don't I said well how do you when will you know I'll know at the end and so what are you doing he says I'm trying to live my life in a way that honors and pleases God hoping that at the very end I will receive the pleasure of God the reward of God but Paul has it the exact opposite because that is what God has done Paul is saying, look at all that God has done already in Jesus Christ. Therefore, this is how you are to live. The mercies of God. Now when you think of the word mercy, he sums up 12 chapters by the word mercies of God. What do you think? I looked into, uh, for uh, synonyms of the word mercy and here were some of them. Concern. Tender compassion. Grace. Favor, a definition in the dictionary. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who it is within one's power or obligation to punish or harm. Let me pull out some verses from the first 12 chapters to help unpack that. Here's Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, though we all have not lived in accordance with God's laws, God has justified us by His grace that came through Christ dying on the cross. The mercy of God. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What you should receive in payment for how you have lived is death. But instead of receiving death, 
you have received a free gift. Life that never ends in Christ Jesus. Mercy, reconciliation. And Paul continues to unpack the results of this merciful gift to us. Here are just some of the results of this mercy. Reconciliation with God. Romans 5.10 For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more that now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life? We're no longer enemies with God, but reconciled with Him. As a result, we have peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When God looks at us, He doesn't look at us with anger. He doesn't have it out for us. I'm speaking for those who have embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to disciples of Christ. Rather, He has peace in His heart toward us. Another result of His mercy, righteousness. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. In other words, by Adam and Eve, our forebearers, actions... So by the one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. It's one thing to be found not guilty. It's another thing to be found righteous. To be found deserving of the love of God. Even though we've done nothing, how does that possibly happen? The mercies of God. How about this? The favor of God. What shall we say in response to this? Romans 8.31 If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously along with him graciously give us all things? And finally, love. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall famine or nature, uh, excuse me, or uh, famine or nakedness, danger or sword? No. I'm convinced that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Paul sums it up in a different uh, 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 book, 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many prom promises God has made, and think of how many promises there are in the Bible toward people, they are yes in Christ. So that mercies continues to reverberate on and on and on. Now we have to ask the question, why would God do His work first? In fact, Romans 5.8 says this, for God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, here's another thing I've discovered about human nature. Guilt and shame cannot change a person's life. Guilt and shame cannot change a person's heart. Only love can do that. God has acted while we were yet sinners, bestowing His mercy upon us that we would be changed into His likeness. I remember I had the opportunity to hear uh, an athlete speak, Jackie Joyner Kersey. Anyone remember Jackie Joyner Kersey? Okay, Jackie Joyner Kersey was ranked as one of the all-time greatest athletes, fem uh, athletes in the world. In fact, Sports Illustrated uh, listed her as the greatest female athlete of the 20th century. She won three gold, 
one silver and two bronze Olympic medals in two events at four different Olympic Games. And Jackie Joyner said this about, uh, 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 what's the word, about winning. She said that the person that knows why will always end up beating the person who knows when in the end. So what does that mean? The person who knows why. What she's saying is, a person, two people, can know what it takes, what's necessary to win, but it's the person who knows why they're doing what they're doing, why they're enduring the training, why they're putting up with the heartbreak and all the difficulty and the challenge. It's the person that has a sense of motivation for what it is that they're doing that is ultimately going to beat the person in the end who knows how, no matter how talented they are. Because it's motivation in the end that moves us. And a right motivation, love instead of guilt and shame, which will change us. So I have to ask you the question, what's your therefore? What's your motivation for why you live? Is your motivation this? This is what the world says. You are what you have. And therefore, if you drill down to the bottom of your life, to the core of your life, all of your life is trying to acquire, trying to get into that neighborhood, trying to get that degree, trying to get that whatever it is, because I am what I have. Or is it my motivation, my therefore, I am what I do. Therefore, I must perform harder. I must work harder. I must continue to rise in my company. I must be whatever it is. I am what I do. How about this, therefore? I am what others think of me. I am my reputation. And so I'll do whatever it takes. I'll bend or break whatever I have to do as long as people think well of me. That's my therefore. Or is your therefore the true therefore? I am the beloved of God who loves me, who died for me, who gives me his favor because he thinks the world of me. I am his beloved and he is mine. And because I am his beloved, this is how I will choose to live. For before we move into what we are to do or how we are to do it, we must understand why we are to do it. So don't skip God's therefore. Every day we must examine and ask ourselves the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Wherever you are, in whatever situation, I must know the therefore, the mercies of God. It must be in my heart when everything around me is falling apart because if you base your life on being the beloved of God, I guarantee you that whatever happens in your life, you will experience the peace and joy that comes with complete surrender. Know the why before you know the what. Well, Paul continues on. Therefore, I appeal to you 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here's the what. Here's what's true, the mercies of God, and here is what to do, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, immediately as people back then heard this term sacrifice, they would have started to scratch their heads. Because not only is it a sacrifice, it's a living sacrifice. Sacrifices were made for atonement of sin. Right? To pay for what you've done wrong. But Paul just explained the therefore, right? The sin has been paid for. So it's not that kind of sacrifice, an atonement sacrifice. And furthermore, it's a living sacrifice. The whole point of a sacrifice is to kill it and to shed its blood for the forgiveness of sins. That doesn't need to happen. The sacrifice disappears. No, Paul is talking to people like you and me to present your bodies as living sacrifices. He's not talking about atonement. We must look back in Romans to help unpack this concept of presenting your bodies. In Romans 6.13, it uses that same term, bodies or members is another word. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Okay, when he's speaking of members, he's talking about our actions, our arms, our legs, the, the way in which we interact and live in the world. He's saying really, present yourselves, the way you choose to live and love in this world as a living sacrifice. In Romans 6.16, he puts it this way, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So to present your bodies as a living sacrifice means to present yourself to God, to present yourself as someone who is willing to be used by God, to obey God, to follow God, to walk after Him. Which is your spiritual worship? Now that's interesting. You know, in the Old Testament, when you think about worship, particularly you look at the Bible and you see this word worship, in the Old Testament, there were very specific prescriptions on how you were to worship, weren't there? You go to the temple at this certain time, you must bring this type of sacrifice, you must do this, and you must do it exactly in this way. That is proper worship. But in the New Testament, it's quite astounding how few rules there are about the acceptable way in which we are to worship. I mean, we should have a ton of rules, shouldn't we? The church should be built this size and you should have this number of songs and you should walk in in this way. There's none of that in the New Testament. Because worship has been transformed from something that is simply external to something that comes and it has happening internal. Remember Jesus with the woman at the well where he says, uh, the woman said, the place where you Jews say we must worship is Jerusalem. And Jesus says, the, the true worshipers that God is looking for are those who worship 
in spirit and truth. In other words, those who worship from the inside to the outside. Not simply from the outside to the inside because what matters is the heart. God himself said to the Israelites, these people honor me with their lips. In other words, they do all the right things, but their hearts are far from me. And what God wants most of all is your heart. To him, your heart love is the most valuable thing. And so true worship is a heart that is right with God that expends and extends to how we choose to live. What God has done is take worship and apply it to everything. Not only the high school student who's here right now singing songs, but as he's all alone in his uh, room doing his homework, as he does it, as an offering to God, guess what? It's worship. As a husband chooses to love his wife, chooses to go about the mundane things of the world, as an offering to God, doing it in God's ways, because of God's love, it's worship. And when you show up to work and punch your card and begin doing whatever menial work in the beginning that you are doing, when it is done as an offering to God, it's worship. See, the wonder of the world and what Christ has done is that your entire day can be a worship service. In fact, that's what it was meant to. As you go about your business, doing your things. Therefore, in full view of God's mercies, offer your bodies, offer how you live, offer how you love as a sacrifice. And guess what? It's holy and it's acceptable. I like the, the translation where it says it's pleasing to God. I mean, how can doing carpool be a holy act? Because you're doing it in line with God's ways. Because you want to follow Him. It's worship. And it brings a smile to God's face. I'm going to go home. I'll do a little bit today. I'll do some tomorrow. I've been doing the trim in my house. And it has been going on for about a millennium right now, it feels like to me. It's expanding. The trim continues. I mean, it's just, it's cutting, it's angles, it's put it up. It's, you know, again, do it wrong, do it again. It's, it's mundane. No, it isn't. Not if I see it as an offering to God. Not if I do it with gratitude and thanksgiving that I have this house, that I can do this trim, that God has allowed me to do so. He's given me the strength and the faculties to do it. And I do it in line with his ways. His word, not complaining, not arguing, but with a godly attitude. It's worship. See, the point I'm trying to make is that my life and my living is my worship. So see your life. Begin to see it as worship. Because it matters. Your sexuality matters. How you choose to date. How you choose to think. What you choose to watch. How you choose to raise your kids. 
how you choose to speak, it all matters. Therefore, by the mercies of God, offer your bodies. Offer the way you live as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Well, that's easy for you to say, Carlos, but how the heck am I supposed to do that? This brings me to my final point. How do you do it? I love that these two verses are together because verse 2 explains verse 1. Verse 1 provides the motivation and what we are to do. And verse 2 shows us how to do it. I don't know if you've memorized this verse and all too often we sort of separate them like they're not interrelated with one another. But they are quite related to one another. Because 2 explains 1. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, God has built a mechanism, a way in which I would know what is good and acceptable and pleasing as I seek to live my life of worship. Now notice there are only two choices it would appear here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Two competing pressures. One which conforms me to the world. We know the word conform. We talked about it last week. It's like when you get squeezed into a box and you take on its shape. Paul is saying, don't be conformed to this world. Don't live the way of this world. Because the way of this world does not worship God. But rather than being conformed, we are to be transformed. The word transformed is a cool one, metamorpheo, from where we get the word metamorphosis. It's only used one other place in the New Testament. Remember when Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration and is transformed... The literal word there of his transforming as he, he took on his visage as you saw him as a, the light and the beauty of who he was. He was being transformed. See, the default of our humanity is conforming to this age and this world. But we were made, in fact, we have to be transformed in order to live this out. And how are we supposed to do that? By the renewing of your mind. This is critical. So stay with me. We're almost done with this. But you need to hear this. The key to this, living this life, is the continual renewing of your mind. Other places Paul talks about your mind the spirit of your mind. See, we all have a mind, but we also have a mindset. And there is a default mindset in your mind. Whether you are a Christian or whether you are not a Christian might surprise you. See, when you became a Christian and you're a new creation in Christ, your spirit was reborn. I am, uh, when I come and at the final resurrection my spirit who I am in my deepest heart of hearts will not need to be resurrected but my mind is still fallen my body is still fallen my emotions 
are still fallen. My mindset, if you will, always tends toward independence from God. It's Romans 1.28 that said when humanity did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. But Paul says, now I say this, that you must no longer walk as the unbelievers do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. See, you can be a Christian and think like a non-believer. And how you think is who you are. Or how you live, I should say. I forget who it was that said, watch your thoughts, for they determine your feelings. Watch your feelings because they determine your actions. And watch your actions because they determine your character. It starts with your mind because the mind is the control center. And so our mind must be renewed or it will continue to stray to the left. It will stray away from God. So therefore, in view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies by being transformed through the renewing of your mind. This word renewing only appears in one other place in the New Testament as well. Romans 3, 5, 6 where it says he saved us not what we, according to what he had done but he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that must do a work in our mind. But that Holy Spirit does a work in our mind when we give our mind to the Lordship of Christ. When we set our mind on the things of the world. When we pursue God's truth. I like this verse, Rome, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Notice it didn't even really speak about whatever is Christian and whatever you can buy at the Family Life Center or whatever Christian movie you go to. No, it says whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, think on these things. But to be sure, it obviously, we're talking about the scriptures as well. Joshua 1.8. Don't let this book of the law, God's word, depart from your mouth, but meditate on it. Think about it. Keep it first and foremost in your head so that you may be careful to do everything written in it and then you will be prosperous and successful. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. See, what Paul is saying is if you want to experience, if you want to live a life of living sacrifice, it starts with your mind. It starts with centering and surrendering your mind on God's thoughts and God's will. So how are you doing with that? I know God's mercy. I want to live for Him. And yet if I was to take my mind and put it up here 
and for you to be able to watch what I had been thinking about and meditating on for this week? Would it show that I have the passion to follow after Christ? We are continual machines taking in information. So meditate. There's a great thing about the internet age and this digital age and there's a horrible thing about the internet age. Saw this article, New York Times. Steve Jobs was a low-tech parent. What does that mean? This, this guy, Steve, used, used to call up uh, journalists when they, they, he felt like he got it wrong and he would lambast them. And, and uh, this journalist was trying to change the subject. And, it, and so this was right when the, the iPad was coming out. This journalist said, so your kids must love the iPad. And uh, he said they haven't used it. We limit how much technology our kids use at home. Thanks, Steve. We really appreciate that. Chris Anderson, the former editor of Wired. My kids accuse me and my wife of being fascist and overly concerned about tech. They say that none of their friends have the same rules. But we have seen the dangers of technology firsthand. I've seen it in myself, and I don't want to see that happen to my kids. Evan Williams, a founder of Blogger, Twitter, and Medium, and his wife Sarah, said that in lieu of iPads, their two young boys have hundreds of books, yes, physical ones, that they can pick up and read anytime. So how do tech moms and dads determine the proper boundary for their children? In general, it's set by age. Okay, am I, are we Luddites? Are we throwing out? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you have to be very careful, adults and children, in what we're putting in our mind. Because as the mind goes, so goes you. I've discovered when I, when I want to study the Bible and I have my quiet time with the Lord, I can't do it on my computer. can't even do it on my iPad. Why? Because if there's an email, it pops up. If there's a message, it pops up. I put it on airplane. I either put it on airplane or I go get a physical Bible. Because I've got to unwire. Because the world is saying conform, conform. And God is saying listen, listen and obey could go on and on and on but kids particularly junior high high schoolers you guys have choices there's absolutely no way that your parents can lock you down completely on how you spend your time on what you listen to but the great thing about the internet you want to find christian bands that are awesome that glorify the lord you can find them it used to be it was kind of it's just cheesy it was pure cheese okay it ain't okay if you want to find, oh, it doesn't matter what I listen to. Oh, yeah, it does. How, do you, how can you say that? Because I read the Bible. That's how. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Choose what you listen to. Choose what you watch. Let God in to hear in view of the mercies of God. And God will begin to do a work transforming you into his likeness. The result, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. This word, you, it's not really, it's hard to translate. It's not only to prove it, in other words, you'll be able to understand it, but you'll also approve of it. Meaning you're not only get it, you'll want to do it. Because it is the word of God. It's your heart's desire because of the mercies of God. I've been rambling and rambling for some time. Don't get me started. 
I guess the point I'm trying to make is this. If we want to follow Christ, if we really want to know what it means to experience the joy of complete surrender, we've got to get serious about what's going on in here. By the end of this week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overhaul a section of our website. I want to know where to get news from a Christian perspective. I want to know some different Christian bands. I want to know some authors. And like I said, it's not just Christian, but good and godly. Surrender your mind to the Holy Spirit. Take each thought captive to Christ. You know what you'll discover? Your life starts to follow along. So I'll just simply sum it up with this. We were made to give our life, our heart love to one. God longs for us to know him. And he longs for us to know the joy that comes with complete surrender to him. And so choose to live in that way. Remember his mercy. Offer yourselves by renewing your mind and centering it on his thoughts and his ways that you might live in obedience and you will experience his joy. Let's pray. Oh God, you made us. You've resurrected our spirits and you give us your Holy Spirit that not only renews us but can renew our minds the very way that we think to think your thoughts after us if we would but focus and center on your word and your will and your ways giving our thoughts to you. Lord, help us to be living examples of the mercies of God and people who have been transformed by love. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.